For us, it does feel like our calling is like, we actually are the opposite of a lot of people you might talk to, Yona. A lot of good people, you have all good people on your show. (laughs) A lot of them talk about keeping their staff down to like five people or two people or one person or a bunch of subcontractors. And that is a viable, great business model. But I don't feel called today, Yona. I mean, our calling is actually to hire people. And, you know, that's harder in some ways because especially people don't have as many um, desires to work anymore. But you can see it in the eyes, Yona. And if you ever have the time to spend with us and come, uh, we train every week. I don't get to train all the time, but I attend if I can, if I'm on property. But every single staff member goes through Viva May training, Revive the Soul training. And uh, what we're trying to say to people is we see in their eyes that they're being fulfilled by this work. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I hope you got your seatbelts on, especially if you're driving, but we have an incredible guest here today. I'm really excited to bring Josh McCallan, one of my favorite people in the real estate investing (laughs) space and uh, someone who I respect and have been wanting to get you on the podcast for quite a while. So I appreciate you coming out. Thanks so much. What joining. an honor. What Mr. Weiss advice, Mr. You are one of the most prolific and best people on LinkedIn. And of course, a good friend. And we're a vendor. You're, we're, we're vendors to each other. I think we, uh, we use your services. So there you go. It's yeah, awesome we, to be part of your, your tribe, bro. Oh, it's my honor. Uh, absolutely. You guys have done incredible things and it's been, it's been amazing to watch the growth of, you know, accountable equity and, and the property, the Renault property that you guys have have uh, developed, redeveloped over the past couple of years. It's just been, it's been awesome. So a little introduction for those of our listeners who don't know Josh McCallan is, not only is he the co-host of Capital Hacking, one of my favorite podcasts that you should definitely subscribe to, uh, but he is a, an entrepreneur, a real estate investor, so many, 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 many more things, uh, a father of 10 children, Amen, <laughs> 10, you heard that? 10 children, God bless. <laughs> and. Um, and he's he's focused on the hospitality space. And I want to get into this a little bit because yep. you guys have done some incredible things in the hospitality space. So let's just jump right in to that. Um, yep. I want to get dig- a little deep into, well, besides for that, I'm sorry, even before we jump into that, there's so much more. I'm sure we, we're going to cover a lot. If you guys are listening to this and, and join the Wednesday night meetup, the Real Estate Connections meetup, we're going to have Josh back. He and his wife gave one uh, presentation about how to how to have a, a great uh, relationship with your spouse uh, while investing together and building a business together. And that was awesome. And we're going to talk about alternative investments and um, you know collateralized investment funds and stuff like that, which you're doing as well. So there's a lot. Okay. What can we're, we're, we have a short podcast today? So let's just, let's talk a little bit about the Renault winery. Okay. You know, where did it come from? I mean, everyone who was invested, I know you started out buying a, a single sure. family, a duplex, you know, doing stuff like a lot of people did. Where do you get to, you know, buying a 260 some odd acre resort winery? Yeah. <laughs> That's not your typical uh, line of progression. So 
First of all, just thank you again. It is so <laughs> wonderful to be part of your podcast. I'm just honored. So I'm trying to think, I'm putting myself in the shoes of your listeners right this second. They're like, well, this guy's got 10 kids. I don't have 10 kids. So am I going to listen to this guy? And then he's doing hospitality. I don't do hospitality. I think you summed it up great though at the end there where you said, you know, we, Melanie and I began 25 years ago by buying a duplex. And it was one of those live-in hacks. We enjoyed it, but it was legitimately two front doors. You know, today's modern version of house hacking is you actually sleep in the same rooms with each other. Right? That's not how we did it. We house hacked the old-fashioned <laughs> duplex. But, you know, that did open our eyes um, to how real estate could work. And then we accidentally closed our eyes for a period of maybe 10 years and then opened our eyes again. So in those periods of time, you know, I'm so blessed here. So just like you, how many children do you have right now, Yona? Uh, we have six children, six beautiful six. children. Six beautiful children. And how uh, old, how young? Our oldest at the uh, airing of this uh, recording, this podcast is 17. And the youngest is just turned seven. Okay. So I love how you were buying time there. That was great. I uh, <laughs> I, I have to do that every once in a while too. So I don't ask I me their easier... names. Don't ask me their no, names. Right? Yes, I just <laughs> know everyone's <laughs> name. But, you know, I, I always I drag it out every once in a while too, but now it's easier for me because I got 21 year old lady and a one year old little dude. So that's our span right now, but six ladies, four guys, in case you were wondering. So, uh, oh, and last thing on the babies. They're all my beautiful wife's natural babies. We we did not get to have any doubles in there or triples. <laughs> they were all single births, single deliveries. Poor girl. I apologize all the time how much harder it is to be a lovely woman than it is to be a guy. But I thank her, and she's been a blessing to all of us. So fast forward. So we, we get out of real estate for a while and go work for universities and live in Europe uh, in the early 2000s. That really changed us, uh, probably like you living in Israel it's nice to live in multiple cultures and to experience the goods and bads of both and all. But we had a cool village experience, like where we lived in for four years, we lived in the Alps, you know, the Austrian wow. Alps, not far from uh, Vienna. Okay. And it was a cute little town where you could walk to every shop and blah, 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 blah. Right. Well, that impacted us. So when we got back to America in 2005 and six, we thought, let's live in a village area. And so we chose an area outside of Philadelphia. And we live in that town and house still to this day. We did a killer restoration of it. My wife and I have a passion for working together on physical rehab. We love it. Not necessarily all our own hands. We always use contractors as well, but our own labor. And, you know, what happened was I said, I'm going to try to learn. Uh, I felt called and I've, I really still do into land development. And so I, I said, well, how do you get into land development if you've been working in universities in Europe and running hotels? How do you do it? I said, well, you know what? You get into it through lending. You know, kind of like you, Yona, you've always thrown so much value into everything you do. I know you've had multiple careers in your life, and now you're just you're on you're an evangelist for uh say cost segregation and the power and making sure people have the optimal tax strategies. You know, right. you, you don't necessarily be a CPA, you're not the CPA, but you help give the tools called cost segregation and other strategies. Well, at that time I thought lending. Everybody who builds needs a loan. So that's my back door. I learned lending, met all these developers, and boom, I got hired by this. I you know, accidentally stumbled into the world of family offices. And you you probably know Richard C. Wilson from Family Office, who I love. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he, Actually, we'd love to get him on the show. Maybe we can oh, use could, this an opportunity he, to he's to, a partner uh, of mine. I could yeah. I could send him a, a note right today. So I will. Um, <laughs> he uh so you know, I, I stumbled into that world in 2006 and I didn't know how that worked. And and so what it was was a family office was as a group of it was a family that had liquidated a big, big, wealthy company. And now what were they going to do? Build houses. And 
through contacts. People just kept introducing me to people, and I finally landed at his office. And in 2007, Christmas, like right around Christmas 2006 into seven, he hired me. He goes, why don't we work together and you be a project manager for me? I'm buying. It's my second life. It's it's my second career. It's my joy. And I'm buying houses on the beach to tear down and rebuild for money, for profit, but because I love it, right? So I got to build $55 million worth of houses over the next few years before the bust. That wasn't that many houses because it was the coast outside of New York City. And you know, the the vacationing outside of New York City is exponentially expensive. It was like $5 million small houses we were building. But I fell in love with it. And um, I grew up, I always say I grew up uh, in a tough little situation where my poor mom had a stroke, my dad had left, and we were on welfare for a period of time. And I was just a little dude, five, six years old. And then uh, just was a scrappy worker. That's how I kind of became an entrepreneur, paper boy, all that fun stuff. But I always say, you know, I learned how to be a dude, a dad, by watching this old house being Mr. Handyman. I always wanted to be Mr. Handyman. Watched, I've been watching this old house since like the early 80s. And uh, later on, I met them all, by the way. I went and spent time with all the this oh, old house so cool. about <laughs> four years ago. And then, uh, and then, well, whatever. Those are my jokes. So right. now back to how we get into resorts. When the house bubble popped, I became, I bought a franchise. I kept moving and grooving. Didn't work out. I got my teeth kicked in. I, I learned that when you buy a franchise system, you have to still be a killer salesperson. And I just thought, oh, franchises, they bring you the clients. That's a whole story documented in a book called Don't Quit. But that led me back to the family office in 2012, that same family office who I became super good friends with. And they said, Josh, what should we do? Let's brainstorm. We have a, a beat up old hotel. And it was 2012 at the time. And we're sitting down. We're like, the economy's soft, but stable. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the pit of the depression at that time or recession. What would you do? And I said, well, what are you doing now? Well, we, we let a management group run it. They're locals to the beach. They run it just enough to pay the mortgage. So it's it's neither here nor there. And it's deteriorating from the 70s till now. It's not a great shape. We had planned on tearing it down. So I said, well, you're not going to tear it down now, are you? No, no, no. The money will never work. That was back in the bubble days. We thought we could tear it down and rebuild it as a condo. I said, well, let me go check it out. So I went down and literally learned for about a month. I was helping operations and they knew who I was. They knew I was friends with the owner and everything. But I came back with a business plan and that business plan was let's be the flippers of of hotels. Let's build a franchise prototype. We were all Michael Gerber aficionados, Mr. E-Myth, if you've ever read that book. And he says, if you're going to do it, like build it as a structural company so that it can stand on its own, not just because you're talented at the one thing like baking. Remember her, that whole story was about right. baking uh, cupcakes or something. Yeah, yeah. So we built this concept, like let's physically build, fix this up and let's hire Marriott people. And, and to cut to the chase, I thought the trick was building a pretty building. And so we did that. We spent a good bit, millions of dollars. We renovated a property. You can look it up right now. It's legendary property now, but at the time it was a dump. It's called Icona Diamond Beach. It's in New Jersey. And everybody thought we were crazy. We fixed it up. It was gloriously four-star level, really nice. And then the F word became a common word at the front desk because the managers were failing so bad and it was hurting the hearts of all our guests. And we were watching it as owner managers. We were like, still finishing construction, watching the guests get mad and a really gut-wrenching experience happened where we ended up having to let the management company go. And Mm -hmm. therein lies the big crux of the transformation in my life. Mm -hmm. That because it was my idea, guess who's in charge of running a management company? Well, there's nobody else left. It's him and me. And now the management company's let go. 
So I, we get in there and we, uh, we struggle, but we decide it's all based on training. And we said, well, what's hospitality at the, at its core? It's, it's treating another person with dignity and then doing all the steps you need. Right. So what we did is we kind of just went into a spiritual dimension and just listened with our hearts, like what would we want and how would we train? And and that culture became legendary. Three years later, we were in the top 25 hotels in America. You can still look it up. Wall Street Journal, USA Today, TripAdvisor out of 55,000 hotels. So that was the major transformation since that day. Everything I've done, even though now we run an incredibly dynamic capital group called Accountable Equity, and that's like primarily where I spend most of my time. Right. It's been on the core fundamental principle that hospitality can be used for good. <laughs> and it is truly, I call it the primordial ministry from the beginning of time mm. when you were hungry and I fed you, <laughs> uh, that was ministry. Ministry yes. to us is like the core of why we do hospitality. And it it's not fancier than just making sure we treat you like a person and with dignity. And, and there, therefore, we've had some major successes, even in capital raising. And we have today 322 investors that actively invest with us, raised probably close to two, over $20 million as of this recording, bought multiple properties, done multiple funds. And uh, it's it's a whole big blessing. Yeah, it is. And I think you, you really summed that up in a way that probably relates to a lot of our listeners, myself included, obviously. But uh, I know for a fact that a lot of our listeners... Um, are investing in short-term rentals like Airbnbs, yes. which is like, you know, the very basic of hospitality. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't need to own a hotel and have a staff in order to, you know, have a hospitality company. You own one house and rent it out on Airbnb and that's you. All of a sudden right. you need to learn and figure out how can I, as you put it, have this ministry of serving people, helping people and giving them that experience that they're going to remember forever. And they're going to, you know, tell all, all their friends. Airbnb is so dynamic. And I, I, I'm, I, whoever's listening right now, if you're in Airbnb, what a great choice. We've done a bunch of shows on our podcast about it. And this year we pivoted into buying a bunch of Airbnbs ourselves and we just kind of put them into our platform. So now we, I would say we're out, we're out and running. I think we have five we purchased this year and um, we're, we agree with you. Now, it, we agree with you. Whoever's listening right now, if you're in the house world, you should explore. If your heart is you know, warm and, and, and kind of triggered by this whole conversation of, of hospitality, yeah, I mean, Airbnb is the fastest way to get involved. And look what happens with the arbitrage, right? You're mm -hmm. buying a house and you're charging more than normal rents. That arbitrage is what happens when you run a resort very well, too. It's, it's, it can be excessively profitable. And thank God that's how we've been running them. That's awesome. Now you also have, like, like I mentioned earlier, and, uh, and for anyone who is, lives in the tri-state area, um, New York, New Jersey, Phil, uh, Pennsylvania, obviously that's the tri-state for those people who live in the Northeast. <laughs> if you live, I learned recently that if you live in Wyoming, right, the tri-state area is like Wyoming, Utah, and Colorado. And it's like, okay, um, fine. <laughs> um, but but if you live out in uh, in the East Coast, the East Co anywhere on the East Coast, because remember it's smaller out here, it you, is, can it's true. DC you can get from DC to our resorts pretty right, easily, pretty quickly. So check out the Renault Winery. You guys have incredible stuff going on there. I've yet to visit, but seen a lot of pictures, seen videos, and seen, you know, the redevelopment from literally from yeah. when you bought it from the auction. I, I remember years ago, yep. uh, back in 2018, and it's just it's it's incredible to see. So highly recommended. 
uh, check that out. And But besides for all that, I mean, you mentioned you have these funds, you have uh, so many different things going on. Oh, there we go. If anyone's watching the YouTube or watching the video, <laughs> we got we got a picture in the background there. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Some of the cool events. Un- incredible. What's, and you spoke about the ministry, you spoke about this is what you're doing it. What would you say is, is your passion and favorite thing about all of the combined um, businesses and, and things that you have going on? Yeah. So we look at it. Um, so I'm going to opine for just a second. There is such an interesting thing that we discovered when we first needed to raise money. So until, until Renault, we had never had to raise money. We did multiple resorts with that family office and it was all their money. And then we had a windfall from my equity position and we were able to start our own company. And that's how we have investors today. And as soon as we knew we were going to invest with people, with our own money, but with people, uh, we did some soul searching and this has become a passion of my heart as you were, you were asking me. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, we named our capital group accountable equity and our culture and hospitality management company, Viva May, both are the two ends of like our mission in life. And one is Viva May is French for revive the soul. You got to fix up a building. You got to make sure the guests and the staff are created great. And then over here in accountable equity, and the reason why we've attracted people from so many states and even Europe, somebody heard me on a great show like this from uh, Switzerland and invested. It was amazing. The reason accountable equity, I would say, is like where I spend most of my energy and heart right now is because I feel when people entrust you with their equity, you know, I, I always say it, it's we've changed businesses now. At first, I thought, oh, you're Mr. Pretty good at resort development. You're pretty good at physical development as well as culture. But as soon as you take someone's money and you put a, a, an investment syndication together, you you actually become in a business called uh, real estate private equity. Mm-hmm. It's actually a whole different industry. And it's just on microcosm. Right. And, you know, we're not trying to be Blackstone or anything crazy, but we are following that same pattern. We're, we're being entrusted by people's nest eggs and, you know, they're using us for diversification. So that has tremendous dramatically changed my life. Uh, so we do four events a year. You've got to come. I want you to be a keynote at one of our learning grows. I'm not joking. I want you to be one of the keynotes in the f- spring. Whenever you're here, we'll try to coordinate it so you can be at the event. We'll have hundred plus accredited investors, other real estate investors. And we do that to create community and to create transparency so that people can meet our team, mm-hmm. meet our executives, meet our CFO, find out how we make decisions. You know, if you're if you're someone who does a lot of due diligence, that's great. Use that as a way to get to know us. If you're already in our group, use it as a way to mastermind and mm-hmm. to change the way you perceive um, the responsibility of having some wealth or right. the responsibility for your children. And, and you know, we have all kinds of great dialogue. It's really awesome, and it's a group of normal people that that are um, actively trying to become great investors. So, though, that's my passion in life yeah. now is is helping investors. And I think it comes down to, and it definitely show, shines through uh, in your personality and, and how you go about doing things in your daily life is that you truly have a, and this, I can I can definitely vouch for the fact that it has a lot to do with having a you know a handful of children that it it it, it um you you're able you really care about people, yeah. right? You care about making a difference in other people's lives. And I love how you put it in terms of, you know, being a, a steward, so to speak, for people's um, investment, their nest egg, their money. There's a lot of accountability there. And it comes with accountability. Absolutely. Obviously, the responsibility comes, obviously, a sh- hopefully, at least, uh, a shared uh, 
passion, a shared uh, desire to to kind of change the world. And you mentioned in passing the responsibility of oh, wealth. Yeah. A lot of people don't think about that. You think about responsibility. What, what do you mean responsibility of, of wealth? Like I I made money. Like I can do what I want with it, right? And I think you and I and many other people hopefully <laughs> look at that and say, well, no. I mean, you're you were given wealth, right? right? You if if you were and whatever you have, whether it's wealth, whether whatever you have, it's a gift. And when if you use it in the right way and you use it to change lives, then you are uh, probably going to get more of that. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, two jokes, I got to tell you real quick. So my wife, who's a, a more, more quiet than I am, but dynamic. Um, she, she jokes, the reason we're in the business hospital, I always say hospitality for investors and hospitality guests, either way it's hospitality is because we're always in the people business. We have 10 kids for God's sake. We're in the people business. She always <laughs> jokes. And I just love when she says that. So uh, you're right. I do think there's a gift you and I were given by being blessed with children that we start to see that you really cannot be selfish. You can, you can choose to be selfish, but it's so much more empowering to choose against uh, only seeking the self. I mean, being emptied or other focused is the gift, uh, you know, and Christmas or traditions like holiday gift giving us parents, our favorite thing is the gift giving, right? I mean, and and by the way, so is it for the kids. Our kids exchange gifts, right? And that their favorite part is the gift giving. And I always joke that in hospitality, we are the servants, right? I mean, we are as humble as it gets. I mean, we clean up toilets and carry food to the table and we'll do anything you ask because we're here to serve. Right. That's humble. Or is it the greatest gift? Because we are the gift giver. And so there's an empowerment for me. I love being a busboy whenever I'm on the table. I always joke, the, the <laughs> further you get in land development and, and helping build these projects, the harder it would be to jump in and help, right? It just gets harder. We're pretty complex. We have 200 people. We have six or so restaurant outlets. I mean, it's catering. We have a lot of things happening. So the best I can do is busboy. You know, I, I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to use those fancy handhelds and actually bill your credit card. Everything's getting complicated. So I'll stick with busing tables because it's easy for me to do. But anyway, my um, my second comment on that is, Without a doubt, the people and, and the the ability to serve. Now, back to money and the responsibility. For us, it does feel like our calling is like we actually are the opposite of a lot of people you might talk to, Yona. A lot of good people. You have all good people on your show. Right. <laughs> a lot of them talk about keeping their staff down to like five people or two people or one person or a bunch of subcontractors. And that is a viable, great business model. But I don't feel called to that, Yona. I mean, our calling is actually to hire people. And, you know, that's harder in some ways because especially people don't have as many um, desires to work anymore. But you can see it in the eyes, Yona. And if you ever have the time to spend with us and come, uh, we train every week. I don't get to train all the time, but I attend if I can, if I'm on property. But every single staff member goes through Viva May training, Revive the Soul training. And uh, what we're trying to say to people is, we see in their eyes that they're being fulfilled by this work. Now, any type of work you do can be fulfilling, but you know it takes a certain decision to let your work be done for others. And anyway, we just lead our team to see that truth. The truth that if you, it doesn't matter what you, I mean, I love ditch digging. I like carpentry. Any work you do can be for the other person. And I'm sorry for preaching here, brother, but I got one more cool thing that this was is, to me. This is what it's all about. No, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I I'm called you. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard that old story from the Middle Ages? I mean, whatever, it's probably from 300 years ago where a person walks into, uh, maybe it's in Spain or something in, in Barcelona, 
And the, the great architect of cathedrals at that time comes up to the guy. It's just a parable. It's probably not a true story, but, but he goes to the first guy, why, what are you doing? And he's looks at a Mason with an anvil or whatever, and he's breaking rock. And he goes, I'm feeding my kids. I need a job. Right. And the first guy, totally honest, good answer. He says, thank you for your hard work. He goes to the next gentleman. And he says, same kind of work, blowing on like bl- hammering blunt uh, instruments into rocks picking him up and stack him. And he goes, I'm building a wall. Don't you see I'm building a wall? And he says, great answer. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. And he goes to the third guy. What are you doing? Same job. Just walk down the line of the wall. And he goes, I'm building a beautiful place of worship for to, to last for hundreds of years. And so they all got the same wage. They were all doing the same work. And all that third person did was decide to see intentionality or like to have an intention to his work. Mm-hmm. And that's all we teach too. And you know what, Yona, you clearly have an intention. I, I always watch your LinkedIn work and the way you take care of people like me, you're always commenting on my posts and thank, thank God for you. You've taught me so much. Why do you do that? I think it's because you, you know, it's better to give than to ask. Yeah. And of course you're the most trusted person for me in the world of cost segregation and all the different services you provide. And it's because I, I just see what kind of person you are. So I appreciate you very oh, much. Thank you. And and I appreciate that. And just to build on on your the analogy of the parable, um, there's so much truth to that. And it doesn't just have to be in, you know, in building something or or doing work, whatever it is you're doing anytime during the day, whether you're, you know, you're having a hot dog or whatever it is you're eating, you're spending time going to a game, whatever it is, the intention. And, and that really is a, a core belief of mine that everything that you do say or think uh, should have intention and, and should be directed in the right for the right meaning. And obviously if you have a higher you know, belief in a higher power, uh, like you know, both of us share, there's obviously much more intention behind every action, you know, everything that you're doing. So, it goes without saying that that's going to translate when you're hiring people and you yeah. are uh, creating a a community and creating a a culture within your company that uh, that share those values. Yeah, and and you know what's great to say too, you know, is we all come from different backgrounds, all different races, all different beliefs, but we do all we do actually ask, do you agree with three core virtues? So you're right, you know, but and this could be where I finish on the whole culture thing because it it's so transformative, by the way. And this was all pre-COVID when we started building these culture programs. And now we've kept a staff, dude. During Corona and the COVID, we've had staff and we continue to be able to hire staff. And it's our staff that brings staff. So there probably is a good business reason for what I'm teaching you. Um, but we don't again, we're completely love all people. So we always say though, but it does require three virtues. Do you have them? Do you, or do you want them? You don't even have to be good at them, but you have to want three things or else you're not going to be happy on our team. And we don't want you to take a job that you're going to be unhappy about. And we always say one, do you seek joy? And do you, are, are you joyful in your service? Joy of service. Number one, you have to kind of seek that virtue. And again, it goes back to, you may not be built to do what we do. Service is a little humble. You may not be able to do it. Don't, don't force yourself. You and I have been to restaurants where the bartender and the waiter seem like they're doing you a favor. They hate their work. They shouldn't be there. They don't have joy. Let's not make you do that. Number two, do you seek humility as a strength? doesn't mean you're humble all the time and you're a perfect person. It just means do you see the good and seeing the dignity of others, recognizing your own place in this world and dignity, but not an arrogance, right? It's a humility, a willingness to help. 
And number three, do you want to make your work a ministry? And I brought that up way earlier. And then we teach them what we mean by that. You know, when you deliver the food to the table, thank you for getting there in eight and a half minutes. But when you get there, smile and greet them and let them know they're loved. You know, so it's your work is to actually share the love, to be honest with you. But yes, you use food to do it. <laughs> so those three virtues, joy, humility, and ministry, it's kind of like a gate. We try to put them up as a gate. doesn't mean you even believe all our faith stuff. You don't have to believe any of what we believe, but you at least believe those three core virtues are worthy of just seeking them. Yeah. And if you do, you're going to be in a killer vibing experience. Yeah. And you and you're going to become a better person by default. <laughs> you kind of are actually. For sure. <laughs> Gratitude, all that good stuff comes from it. Josh, we could go on here for hours, literally. I know you 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 got a lot to do back on the I'm ranch. so grateful for the time <laughs> we've had, brother. And for all your listeners, I'm ready for the final four. Let's do it. Let's jump right in. The first question for you is what's the worst job that you ever had? Hmm. Uh Toys R Us. <laughs> I was a high school kid. I was holding two jobs and I thought, well, I don't have anything happening on the weekdays. I'm a waiter on the weekends. So I took Toys R Us. I only made it through one day. I couldn't take the monotony and the lack of purpose. Honestly, even though I was 15, 16 years old, I, I hated it. That's crazy. Yeah. Stocking I, I, shelves. I, I definitely see that. Yeah. Stocking shelves, that monotony would, would kill someone like you. <laughs> it kind of killed me because there wasn't all these kind of cool things going on. It was literally you show up and punch a clock. And then, you, you know what? That culture teaches you like breaks are important. Yep. You know, it was like the opposite of purpose. <laughs> it was like blood sucking. So I let it go real quick. Very, very good. Um, second question. What's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Okay. Take a look. And this is good for most uh, most of us listening. You're probably really going to love this. It's called Chase the Lion by Mark Batterson. Chase the Lion. It's a book about, I don't know what story in the Old Testament it is, but it, he's uh, Chase the Lion. It's about uh, killing the lion. I think it was David's soldier chases a lion into this uh, den and comes out the victor. Normally you don't do that. Uh, and what his point was, is that are you chasing a lion in your career, your life, your family? Are you chasing something that you really is pretty big and you would need help to achieve? And do you have the trust that you'll, you know, that you're loved and could you have the help? But my point is it's called Chase the Lion by Mark Batterson. Check it out. Okay. We'll definitely check that out. It sounds fascinating. Um, third question, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Uh, I'll start with a hobby. I do not have a hobby right now. So I would like to learn sailing or at least captaining boats. I, you know, of course I've captained a pontoon boat, but that's a joke. I'd like to, uh, <laughs> I'd love to be a part of a boat experience. I just, the water soothes the soul and I'd like to have some hobbies on the water. You have any, uh, any developments coming up on the water? We do. We do. Have, we we have one. And uh, hopefully you'll come to that too. It's outside of DC near oh, Annapolis. Right. I do remember that. That's right. 200 acres on the water. And we have a small private marina we're building out. So someday we're going to own a good number of boats so that the guests can go out. So yeah, it does fit into my life a little there bit. There you more. go. <laughs> All right. And uh, fourth and final question, which you know I'm sure you've touched on this already throughout this sh brief conversation, but our question is, what does success mean to you? Between you and I, I don't know if this is the best answer, but the children, the, the nuance, guys, if you don't have children yet and ladies, the nuance of being able to provide something for them, but then never wanting to make them not hungry, the nuance of making sure that they're grateful and that they're loving, that nuance is, I'm in the middle of it on so many different age groups. Right. Um, my success will be 
I, I keep thinking of vivid vision in the future. I want to just be there with my family and that they, we all have struggles, but that we feel a trust factor at home. So my, my success will be somehow navigating the millions of different mistakes you can make accidentally and still end up on the other end of a family that loves each other. Yeah. That's extremely powerful. Very challenging uh, at times. And every kid is different. They're doesn't matter. Aren't they? Surprising, <laughs> isn't it? Every person, every beautiful little person is, is totally different and they need different things. And uh, yeah. you learn, you know, you learn from, unfortunately, a lot of parents learn from mistakes, but the great thing is right. the more kids you have, <laughs> you're able to, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You create some traction, maybe a little traction. <laughs> oh um, man, this has been awesome. Josh, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah, it would be an honor, even if you're not ready to invest or anything like that. And you want to just learn side by side with our, we have a whole faculty of, of uh, investors and it's account, accountableequity.com. No binding anything, but just learn from the people that are in our community. There's a ton of great professors and floss, like people like you, Yona Weiss are in our group. You're not in it yet, but you are welcome to be part of our group. But uh, we have all kinds of great professors who are podcasters and things like that. And then, of course, we're a pretty dynamic and we get together uh, community. So we'd love to have you just check us out. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. This has been a pleasure. Uh, it's an understatement. And uh, I'm so glad we finally, <laughs> finally got the chance. Thank you, buddy. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us again all the way till the end. I'm sure you got a lot out of this episode. I certainly did. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.